So what do you want to be hoping for again? What are you protecting yourself from hoping for? That's the question I'm asking you uh, to post an answer to in the chat. Um, feel free to keep posting in there. I know it's kind of a hard question. It takes some time to think about and put yourself in the future of COVID being a distant memory. What am I hopeful for at that point? But uh, we'll come back to your answers in a bit here. Welcome to the season of Advent. I typically love, love, love uh, Christmas time. I do not like the winter, <laughs> but I absolutely, absolutely adore Christmas time and I love Advent. I love the Advent season. I love the atmosphere. I love the songs. Um, I love the anticipation. And I usually love the Christmas parties and family get togethers that, that uh, mark this time of year. Advent is different this year. Um, we're in a holding pattern, waiting for the world to be safe or at least safer again. In many ways, uh, I think this actually sets us up to engage Advent more fully than in previous years. Advent is a season marked by what we're all too familiar with this year, waiting. Waiting in darkness, hoping for the light. Um, it's a season of expectant longing for hope, for peace, for joy and love, and the world being made right again. We're all waiting for the world to be made right after such a crushing year on so many different fronts. But as challenging and difficult and painful as this year has been, um, as not right as our world seems these days, the, the world that Jesus was born into was far bleaker for the people of God. At the time of Jesus's birth, Israel had been under brutal Roman rule for about 60 years. They've survived at least two major uprisings in which the Romans and the Roman installed Jewish king slaughtered tens of thousands of Jewish people, sometimes including women and children and they burned entire cities to the ground, which is ironic since Rome prided itself on bringing peace to the world. But the peace that Roman rule brought was peace through violence and sub sub subdugation. I'm not gonna try to say it, you know what I'm trying to say? I don't know why I can't say that word today. Uh, subdugation and <laughs> oppression. At the time of Jesus's birth, the people were ruled by a, a brutal Roman empire and a, a Roman picked and installed king who does anything that Rome tells him to. But on top of that, the Jewish people have helplessly witnessed um, the functions of the temple and the high priesthood being corrupted and consolidated into a few very rich families uh, who were all essentially very pro-Rome. So it seems that every aspect of political and religious leadership is murderous and corrupt. The people of first century Israel know something about waiting and waiting and waiting and longing for deliverance and restoration. This is the world that Jesus is born into. And the Jewish culture that Jesus was born into was heavily divided in how to handle their broken world. The people by and large found themselves in one of four major factions, each with their own responses to God and strategies for coping with uh, the sufferings and hardships that they were subjected to. One of these groups was called the Essenes. Of all the factions, this group is by far the most mysterious. Um, they're never even mentioned in the New Testament by name, um, which is unlike the other three, which we'll talk about in the coming weeks. We know the least about the Essenes in large part because their primary strategy or coping mechanism was to withdraw from the larger culture and isolate themselves into secluded, hyper, hyper-religious communities. 
While smaller groups of them lived in, uh, like monks in communes out in the wilderness, uh, the majority of Essenes actually lived in cities throughout the, the country of Israel. But they always lived in their own secluded neighborhoods in those cities. They had their Essene section of town where they could remain separate from the rest of society. Their lives were marked by uh, communal living, pacifism, a heightened focus on purity achieved through severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence and a strict, strict adherence to religious law. All of this was because to the Essenes, the world and even Israel had become so hopelessly wicked that neither social action nor uh, a revolution could cure it. The only hope was for some sort of end times, divine intervention, God's final judgment on the earth. Literally, they believed that their only hope was uh, heavenly armies of angels coming down from heaven to wipe out the wicked Romans and the corrupt Jewish collaborators. In the meantime, Essenes saw their only option to be withdrawing from society to try to stay pure and on good terms with God while waiting for God to supernaturally intervene and deliver them. So they chose to deal with the very real struggles, trials, and challenges, and hardships and suffering of their day by abandoning and withdrawing from the world. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not sitting here 2000 years later, judging first century Jewish people for the strategies that they employed to cope with the very real and relentless sufferings of their day. Few to none of us have any idea how we'd respond in that, in the, under those same brutal and hopeless circumstances that they were faced with every day. And honestly, protecting yourself by isolating withdrawing isn't the worst choice. Uh, it's a choice that we can understand, can't we? It's such a very common human response to feeling fear and, and a lack of hope to protect ourselves by pulling back and withdrawing ourselves from situations, um, withdrawing from danger. When we feel powerless, sometimes it's the only thing that we feel like we can do is, is get away. Even in the past year, I can look back and see where I have done this to protect myself emotionally. And I can certainly see it multiple times if I look back on my life further. In fact, one of the, one of the darkest moments of my life um, was when I made a decision to withhold myself and withdraw essentially for the rest of my life. I was drowning in an addiction that I could not get any distance from no matter how hard I tried. I was hurting people around me. I was, um, I was tired of fighting what it felt like was an endless battle with something that I couldn't gain any ground on. And so I've told this story before, but I, I, I can clearly remember one afternoon sitting in my basement bedroom of the house that I was living in at the time. And I, I said to myself, okay, this addiction is clearly never going away. I'm going to have this rest of my life. I will never tell anyone about this. I will do my best to hide this. I will never pursue another romantic relationship. I will never get married. I will never have kids. I don't want to hurt anyone anymore. So I will use my time to serve some church to try to make something good of my life and hope that when I die, God will heal my addiction. Like the Essenes, I had lost all hope in the present. My only hope was some future distant um, deliverance at the end of my life. And so I decided to protect myself and others by withdrawing and withholding myself from everyone while, while trying to earn God's approval. I basically literally decided to stop living until the day I would eventually die. I was hopeless. 
this is not the life that God has for any of us. It's hard for us to live out our calling to be the means through which God blesses the world when we choose to live this way, withdrawn and isolated from the world. And Jesus offers us so much more. He says in John 10, I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you, more than you can expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. The birth of Jesus, of God incarnate, extends to this group of defeated and, and earnest Essenes hope, not just in the distant future, but present hope for a restored relationship with God that they didn't have to earn through all their pious acts and obsession with purity. Jesus' arrival offered present hope for wholeness and healing, hope for life in its overflowing fullness. And Jesus offers the same hope to you and I today. Soon after I had made that decision to give up and let my addiction win by ending any semblance of having a happy life, um, I sat on my bed full of despair. I was so heartbroken, but so numb at the time that I couldn't cry. I just sat there feeling this intense darkness. And in that moment, a question popped in my head, a question that I believe God was asking me, what if things could be different? What if things could be different? And I have to tell you, that question changed everything. <laughs> Nothing was the same for me after it. It was the beginning of me finding freedom and, and life again. Those six words transformed my life and propelled me forward into profound healing and restoration and growth, into experiencing grace for the first time and, and finding a love that I had only ever heard about, but never experienced. In literally the days that followed, I, I started counseling. Um, I started uh, coming clean to some good friends who carried me through those days. And pretty soon, you couldn't get me to shut up about this part of my life that weeks before I decided I would never tell anyone about. Rather than withdrawing and withholding myself, I, I pushed out into the world. I wanted others to experience this same divine uh, restoration and healing, the same divine love and grace that I had found in Christ all because a thought popped into my head in a very dark moment of my life. A tiny little question changed the trajectory of my life. Why? Because it offered me hope and not hope in just some abstract future sense at the end of my life um, or the end of time, but hope in the present hope here and now that my life could be different. When we've given up, when we've withdrawn to protect ourselves, Jesus, the hope of the world comes along and takes our hand and leads us back out into the world. Hope propels us forward. Hope is what keeps our passion alive. Hope is what drives us into pursuing what God has for our lives. But hope is a choice. And sometimes it feels easier to protect ourselves from more pain by refusing or, or rejecting hope. 2020 has been a uniquely challenging and painful year. We all find ourselves waiting and waiting and waiting. We can wait in fear. We can choose to protect ourselves from further pain by, by giving up hope. But what if things could be different? What if we waited with hope? What do you want to be hoping for again? What are you protecting yourself from hoping for? I'm going to see if maybe with a little more time, we have some answers here. 
Keely wrote, feeling hopeful feels dangerous. <laughs> what I want to know is that waking up each day and going to work, connecting with friends and learning is all an act of hope. Arnie says, with lessons of selfless devotion to duty and family, a Christmas setting and several sweet seasonal needle drops, Die Hard is definitely a Christmas movie. I should have screened that comment, Arnie. Trevor says, I'm hopeful for restful Christmas, seeing all of you face to face, excited for our Christmas market and new year and a fresh start. Kenna hopes that she could see her friends without having to wear masks. Brandy says she's hoping for the day when we can physically be present with people we love or even around people in general without feeling fear or skepticism. <laughs> I'm not sure about the skepticism part, but uh, these are all beautiful things. We need to get back to hope. I want to be a hopeful person. I want TNL to be a place filled with hope, not just distant future hope, ultimate hope, for someday. I want us to be filled with hope for today. I think this might be a theme that extends past or far beyond this first week of Advent and into 2021, embracing hope, choosing to hope. Are you willing to take the risk and, and embrace hope with me this Advent? For this week, let's start just with ourselves. What are your hopes for yourself? Your development, your growth, your maturity, spiritually, mentally, um, emotionally, 2020 has put us in difficult positions that we've never been in before. Are you the person that you hope to be? I know this year exposed some of the darkest parts of me that I thought were gone, or at least weren't as dark as they apparently are. Parts of me that make me want to withdraw and hide. And for a while that, that caused me to lose hope again. Maybe I really haven't grown at all. Maybe this all is a sham. But I want to encourage you. I want to give you hope, uh, hope that Jesus makes possible by sharing um, with you this scripture that injected me with some hope this week. This is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. Paul here is writing to members of the, Corinth, uh, the church in Corinth, but I think this can be uh, expanded to and applied to all of us who follow Jesus. So he writes this, just think, you don't need a thing. You've got it all. All God's gifts are right in front of you as you wait expectantly for our master Jesus to arrive on the scene for the finale. And not only that, but God himself is right alongside you to keep you steady and on track until things are all wrapped up by Jesus. God who got you started in this spiritual adventure shares with us the life of his son and our master Jesus. He will never give up on you. Never forget that. God will never give up on you. That line always catches me. I don't naturally have that kind of hope. Um, it's not my default mode to believe that God will never give up on me. In fact, due to, I think some childhood wounds, I tend to believe that people are like always just about ready to give up on me. So rather than hope, I protect myself and I withdraw to skepticism. I do this with people and with God. Um, rather than embrace this hope, I look for evidence that God has given up on me or that he hasn't given me what I need, that God has abandoned me. But as this verse that we just read says, God has given you and I everything we need. 
What if we spent the next few weeks believing this is true, that we already have everything we need to become the people uh, that God created us to be? What if our hope wasn't just in a future day when God will make all things new, but hope that God has given us everything we need now, not just to carry us through this difficult season that we're in, but to grow and to thrive in it. You have everything you need to be the person you hope to be. That doesn't mean that you are all you need. Please don't hear that. It doesn't mean that you won't need help from others. You will. We all do. And we're better for it. You have everything you need to find, to ask for, to receive that help. God has given you everything you need to be the person you hope to be. So what if this Advent you embraced hope and leaned into this reality that you have everything you need? Who knows? Maybe the entire trajectory of your life could change. Let's pray. God, you, you are called the hope of the world. And that makes a lot more sense to me right now in this ridiculous year than maybe it ever has. God, we, we need an injection of hope into our lives and into this community. I pray that you would reignite our dreams, that you would take our hand and and lead us back out into the world to protect ourselves um, or to lead us away from protecting ourselves by withdrawing and refusing to hope. We love you, God. Amen.